two Dutch students, Chris Kramers and Lisanne Fron, both grew up in Amersfoort, Utrecht in the Netherlands. Just a few weeks prior to leaving for Panama, Fron had moved in with Kramers in a dorm room in Amersfoort and they worked together at a cafe restaurant called in Den Cleanen Hap. They're off to Panama on a lifetime adventure. They'll explore the country and spend later time in Boguette doing volunteer work with children and education and language. This area is quite mountainous. It's a difficult area, but it's an amazing place for travellers and tourists and two young people on an adventure. Kramers and Froon will embark on that trip, planned over six weeks, and they will never return back home to the Netherlands. Okay, you're welcome to episode 27 of Radio Aspoil. We do uh, video cast and podcasts uh, wherever your favourite uh, channels are to see them. We're also available on YouTube, Radio Aspoil. Uh, you'll find it under my name, uh, Mick Rooney. Uh, right, episode 27, let's get straight into it. It's Death on the Trail, the unsolved case of Chris uh, Kramers and Lizanne Froon. Um. Yeah, okay, this case takes us to Panama. You will have seen the brief. Just before I begin um, and get into our uh, deep analysis and timeline, quick house rules. Um, Yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, Like, uh, subscribe and share wherever you see this. If you're going to comment, just please be respectful in the comments. I don't do wild speculation and uh, conspiracy theories here okay we try to stick to the facts and we try to look at this case together and see what's the more likely scenarios okay so without further ado let's get into it the timeline and where our case begins you had a brief of the uh, case Uh, i'll just Go through it in a little bit more detail now. Uh, Chris Kramers and Lizanne Froon were Dutch students who disappeared on the 1st of April 2014 while hiking the El Pianista Trail in Panama. After an extensive search, portions of their bodies were found a few months later. Their cause of death could not be determined definitively, with Dutch authorities working with forensic and search rescue investigators initially thought it likely the students had accidentally fallen from a cliff or gone over a river bridge after becoming uh, lost, lost, I suppose, and disorientated as well. However, foul play could not be entirely ruled out and is still considered by some more likely due to other remains being found uh, that's their scattered remains and also remains of other people who disappeared in this area the circumstances and aftermath of their disappearance have resulted in much speculation about their final days and really that's where i want to try and avoid as you know and what i do on radio spoil i want to get away from too much speculation and stick to very much uh, i suppose where does the evidence and what we know most likely lead us. Panamanian authorities came under fire for allegedly mishandling the disappearance and the aftermath of the case. 
Further investigation into the case in 2017 raised questions about the initial investigation as well as a possible link to murders in the area. Although many theories have been presented as to what happened to Kramers and Frun, no official cause of death has been uh, ruled um, in or out. Go back to this picture. Oh, what? When I first came across this case, uh, it would have been probably in 2014, 2015. Um, what struck me most is, and I think this comes across in the next background piece I'm going to give you, uh, the remarkable similarity both these young ladies had, 21 and 22 years of age. Uh, if you told me these uh, two ladies were sisters, I could perfectly believe that. And it it's, strikes me when we go through the background of this case, uh, the, the, the strength of bond of friendship that these uh, two women had uh, let's go into that some of that background so just uh, briefly where these women were at the time of their life um, and how they it, it came about they ended up in Panama um, I will do my best um, because I, I hate doing it, particularly with people who are now deceased that we know are deceased uh, and I hate referring to them either by their surnames or their full name so I'm going to from here on I'm going to do my best to refer to them uh, by their first name uh, Chris and Lizanne but just for the record here uh, Chris Kramers 21 and Lizanne Frun 22 both grew up in Amersfoort Utrecht in the Netherlands uh, Kramers was described as an open creative and responsible individual while Frun was described as aspiring, optimistic, intelligent and a passionate volleyball player. Kramers had just completed her studies in cultural social education, specialising in art education at the University of Utrecht. Frona graduated with a degree in applied psychology uh, from, from Deventer. Uh, yeah, I suppose I could define these two women if if we, we I've just talked about the, this, that, that, that strength of bond of friendship between them. But on the other hand, I think they complemented each other. Um, one, uh, Chris was the more, shall we say, extrovert and outgoing, whereas uh, Lisanne was maybe a little bit more introverted, but somehow that seemed to work for them. Only a few weeks prior to leaving for Panama, um, Chris and uh, Lisanne uh, shared a dorm in Amersfoort again Amersfoort is in the Netherlands where they grew up so they shared um, not only uh, a place where they lived a, a flat a dorm apartment and um, they also worked together in the same cafe restaurant and this this restaurant was called in down clean in hap that's the small place small restaurant um, and this is actually the right you can see it there on your right uh, they both saved up money for six months and planned to go to panama together on a special six-week vacation hoping to learn spanish and to do something of significance for the locals particularly volunteering with children the trip was also supposed to be a present uh, to front from her parents for graduating now um we're going to get into the main timeline okay but just before we get to the disappearance day in question um let's just look at saturday march the 15th 2014 so this is two weeks before the incident chris and lazanne arrive in panama 
on the 15th of March 2014 for pretty much the what would have been 10 12 no nearly 16 15 16 days they pretty much traveled around at Panama very much as tourists sightseeing and I suppose enjoying life enjoying their trip away knowing that um, when they got to Bogat in Panama uh, they were going to commence this this volunteer work so they arrive on Friday March the 28th uh, 2014 in Bogat the girls receive uh, an email confirmation of their volunteer work starting that coming I think it was Tuesday they were meant to be starting uh, their work in the volunteer uh, Spanish language uh, center <coughs> so for them all seemed well everything good to go however things changed that weekend and this is always an important thing when we look at cases like disappearances tragic cases like this it's important to get into the mindset of what was going on so the Friday they arrive everything's hunky-dory they've enjoyed their initial two weeks traveling around Panama and they're all ready and set uh, the following week to start their volunteer work that they've already had organized with the uh, Spanish language uh, school center. When they arrived in Bukhet Kirikiri on the uh, on the Friday, uh, I think it was late Friday night, early into Saturday morning, the 29th, uh, they had organized to live with a family uh, for a full month, four weeks, while they were doing their volunteer work with children. Um, so that would have been the last four weeks of their overall six-week trip uh, to Panama. And you can see uh, Bogat here, uh, beautiful sort of semi-rural uh, place, um, you know, very picturesque, brings many tourists, particularly people who like the outdoors, uh, hiking, uh, traveling around, seeing the sights and sounds, uh, you know, this, this is very different to going to your typical New York or London or Paris. Now, they'd organized this to be staying uh, for the foreseeable time, the four weeks, with a local lady called, uh, we're just going to call her Miriam G. Uh, she regularly uh, hosted students uh, at our hostel. Uh, Chris and Lisanne uh, are staying there in what is a self-contained, <coughs> excuse me, flat complex to the side of Miriam's um, hostel property. Uh, and it had its, this is important, it had its own key um, access. So they, they weren't essentially sharing it with other people. They were in their own um, uh, in-house place. And this is a part of that uh, building. This is this is post-disappearance. This is, a, I believe, a, a police a photograph taken of their room. Uh, I think this was either the day after their disappearance or a couple of days after their disappearance. So you can see this is pretty much how the room was left. Very typical of of you know students um again this this was a hostel stay this wasn't some sort of plush hotel now we go from saturday the day they arrived we're into sunday march the 30th 2014 so between saturday and sunday just after they'd arrived the two girls learn that their time as volunteers at the Span spanish language school has suddenly been postponed by a full week now we don't know the full ins and outs um, as to what happened here. Was there um, 
a misunderstanding. Clearly, there'd been some kind of mix-up with dates. Initially, they got the email on Friday that everything was fine. It was to go ahead the following week. And then, lo and behold, by Saturday, Sunday, they learned that, oh, actually, no, we're going to have to postpone that uh, for a week. You can't start, but not next week. It'll have to be the following week. So, of course, <laughs> these two girls, they're in Boguette, Pan Panama, and now they've got a totally unplanned week that they didn't expect to have. So they're, of course, a little bit disappointed. So they won't be able to commence their work in the coming week. Uh, Lizanne Fron wrote about this frustration in her diary uh, on the Sunday. We believe it was a Sunday evening. Both girls were, and this is important, both girls were very avid diary writers. And they were very clued into social media and posting on social media about their lives and their adventures. This is actually an extract from uh, Lisanne's uh, diary. And, you know, you can see the, the blah, 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 uh, 31st of the 3rd. This was the Sunday evening. Um, this is in Dutch. She's very much, you know, disappointed uh, that they can't commence work uh, at the school. Um However, you know, being resilient uh, students, they pick up. It is what it is. Now, on Monday, March the 31st, uh, with a full week ahead to fill, um, and obviously they had no planned uh, activities to do that week because they were expecting to do their start their volunteer work. The two girls over the Sunday and Monday start to attempt to try and, you know, fill in that time. They even speak to Miriam about possibly getting a placement maybe for the first week uh, at maybe one of the other local schools where they could kind of help out to fill in the time. But ultimately, they resolve to fill their time from the coming week um, by booking some just holiday uh, activities for them to do. We know on the Monday that they visited a pharmacy because it would we we can't don't know for certain but the understanding is that uh Lizanne is feeling a little bit congested and slightly under the weather and I think that very much comes across in our diary as well. Um and that could be partly just due to the disappointment um of, of not being able to start the volunteer work. <coughs> so early on on the Monday they spend time with uh, Miriam and her family across the Sunday Monday. Uh they sort uh, Lizanne out uh, with some some medicine for uh, the the congestion she's experiencing, and also the, we believe they picked up uh, mosquito uh, repellent sprays as well. Uh, again, Panama. Uh, even in March, this is a very during the day, hot, warm, sultry, humid conditions, and then it actually gets surprisingly cool and cold. Uh, at, at, at night so quite diverse temperatures from day to night so on the Monday they um, they come back they spend some time with guests uh, uh, at the hostel and also in the local area this image is actually taken from that I believe this is I don't know whether this is the Sunday evening or the Monday evening it could actually be the Monday evening and you can see that that's uh, Lizanne there in the bottom left corner of the picture so by Monday evening, after liaising with the Spanish language school, so they've, they've kind of sorted things out with the Spanish language school, um, the 
school have resolved that yes they will be able to start but not till the following week so they're now concentrating on building up that um holiday itinerary for the coming um week that they have now available unexpectedly and they start booking uh with the help of miriam and the spanish language school um just activities that to keep them occupied for for the coming week and those activities we know that the booked activities were to begin on the Wednesday. Remember, we're on we're at Monday evening on the Wednesday, and some of those activities uh, included visiting a, a local coffee plantation, a strawberry farm, and they also wanted to uh, do the some of the hiking trails. In particular, there was a, a local uh, volcano, the Baru uh, volcano, that they also wanted to uh, to uh, to see. So Monday being the first of their free days, all they do, as I said, went to the pharmacy, met a few people, hung out at restaurants, visited a bar, just generally savouring the locale and uh, the people. And again, these are some more uh, images from uh, around that time. Again, I don't know where this is. I believe this is on the Monday. Now, we are pretty much into the day of the disappearance. So this is uh, the 1st of April. It's around 10 to uh, 11 a.m. in the morning. Now, we're not absolutely sure of the times as to when and what exactly their movements are. We generally know what they did and what their intentions were, but the exact times, there's a conflict in the exact times. As best we know, between 10 and 11 a.m., the girls left their hostel with the intention of hiking near the clouded forests that surround the Baru volcano on the El Palniste Trail, not far from Boquet, it's just, just outside Boquet. Um, probably not a distance you would walk, you would either have to cycle there or maybe get a taxi, and that's pretty much what these girls did. This is a relatively well-mapped sightseeing trail of 8 kilometres, uh, moving south to north and starting at a point called Arco Iris and rising up to about 1,800 feet, so 600 metres. Now, the first thing I want to... Um, now, remember, 8 kilometres, okay, that that's, you know, as a hike, that's no mean feat. You know, that's... 8 kilometres is a... You know, if you're walking at a very, very brisk pace you might do four kilometers very briskly in an hour eight kilometers you'd be pushing it to do it in two two and a half hours but this has an incline this is a mountainous hiking trail it's a region so this isn't something you take on to do for an hour or two this is something that's pretty much going to consume most of your day while the trail winds its way through forests sometimes into clouded areas, it would not be considered arduous to two young fit people as long as you stick to the marked trail and take your time. It would be a hiking trail you would plan to consume most of the day and not one to squeeze into a single morning or afternoon. Most local booking, most local booking agents and trip advisors do generally recommend using a local guide unless you are a seasoned hiker. This comes with a proviso. Some sources say 
they took with them a dog that belonged to the owners of the El Pianista restaurant, but this has not been confirmed. This report, like many in the case, simply, for me at least, it doesn't hold any water. We know they took a taxi journey to the start of the hiking trail, and the taxi driver did not report any such dog with them. It, I think it's something you'd remember taking a taxi somewhere to um, Dutch students having a dog with them. Like, they, none of this makes any sense to the timeline and what we officially know. The women wrote on Facebook that they intended to walk around Buckhead and it was reported they had been seen having brunch with two Dutch men before embarking on the trail. I tend to find this is something that happens with Irish holidaymakers, British holidaymakers, German holidaymakers, Dutch holidaymakers. People tend to take an affinity in in spending time with people, speak their language, uh, their culture, you know, similar nationality. It's quite common. So it's no surprise to me that they would have, you know, instinctively... Uh, struck up conversation uh, with people who were also Dutch in this area uh, visiting it. Now the taxi driver, and we need to be careful about this part, the taxi driver stated later to police that he left the girls at the hiking point around 1.40pm. This doesn't add up to what other eyewitnesses uh, recounted in seeing the girls in the local Buket area and some of the early uh, hikers in the area at the starting point of the trail. They didn't see any dog with them and they certainly do not remember the girls being at the start of the hiking trail at 1.40pm. Most accounts begin considerably earlier that day. The uh, substantives about the timing of brunch at a local restaurant with the two Dutch males probably does make sense uh, in that regard. But I'm wondering, is this... Um, how accurate is this? Were these reports maybe incorrect? Is it possible this was actually not the Tuesday but the Monday, some of those uh, reports of them spending time with the Dutch males? Because... From what we know, the two girls set out a lot earlier that day. And we know that from their devices and the camera, uh, Lizanne's camera that she had with her. However, by June, with the find of the backpack, as I say, on the Canon camera with timestamps, the taxi driver's claim of 1.40pm comes, comes under serious question. Analysis of photos from the camera appear to show images taken well into the hike around midday to 1pm so they're already well in halfway into the hike by 1pm so the taxi driver's account just doesn't add up at all and this is you know long before his claim timeline so either he is an error or he's mixing them up with someone else if anything there are other eyewitnesses who claim to have seen the two girls at the starting point on the trail between around 11 and 12pm and this ties in with the electronic timestamps that we actually have. It did strike me as being somewhat late in the day to embark on an 8 kilometer hiking trail, particularly if you are not familiar with the terrain and rise required. <coughs> this wasn't a trail that could be accomplished in a couple of hours. 
You've also got the plan, your return. Well, I suspect neither Chris nor Lisanne really thought through this impromptu hike, and there is some evidence that they dismissed the idea of a tour guide. We'll refer to Feliciano uh, for the walk, um, and we'll refer back to him um, later in this timeline. We, we have to now question the reported timeline by the taxi driver and some other eyewitnesses who don't seem to be too sure of their um, times. Obviously, they can all be correct, but the devices don't appear to lie. Some sources claim the owners of the restaurant hostel became alarmed when their dog re- returned home that night without Kramers and Frun. Um, again, I, I just none of this really makes any sense at all. The report again, it doesn't add up. The girls only arrived in Boquet on the Saturday. Why on earth would a local dog, this dog apparently was called Blue from the restaurant, form such a bond with the girls in just two days that it would go with them on a hiking trip? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And what dog is going to walk home from a location outside Boquet and return late at night. My take on this myth, which is what I think it is, is that due to rescue dogs being later used in the search during uh, the following days, the owners of the restaurant just got a little bit too wrapped up in the case and started to conflate and worse embellish details into somewhat romantic ideas of their own dog and details of you know, wanting a little bit of media attention and isn't our dog, you know, Blue Wonderful and he followed them off and was looking after them and, you know, I'm sorry, it just doesn't, it just doesn't cut it. Um, <coughs> Lizanne's parents stopped receiving text messages on this day, that is the Tuesday, which both women had been sending to their families daily. So, again, like I said, they were regular social media users, uh socially uh, very aware while Lizanne was a little bit more reserved and, and introverted um, they were very proficient and very active on social media and being in communication uh, in recent weeks with their family Lizanne's Canon camera contained photographs when later found in the backpack in June from the 1st of April suggesting that the women had taken a trail at the overlook of the Continental Divide and wandered into some wilderness hours before their first attempt at making emergency calls, but with no signs of anything unusual. Uh, We'll get into the emergency calls shortly. This would indicate that the girls were on this trail at some some point, we think around mid-late afternoon, I'm going to say mid-to-late afternoon, we're looking at maybe three, the three or four o'clock mark, had somehow wandered off the main trail, either exhausted or disorientated by then. Photos from the camera at around 2 p.m. don't appear to display any distress, so everything up to about 2 p.m. looked to be perfectly normal. However, we now know that by 4.39 p.m. things were not good. Something had changed. What? We don't know. We'll get into that. An emergency call, 439, is attempted from Chris's iPhone. I think it was an iPhone 4. At 4.51pm. Okay, so literally, what, 12 minutes later? Lizanne's phone 
also attempts an emergency call. So there's only three possibilities here as to what's going on, okay? You, you don't make emergency calls unless there's some, something serious has happened. What are they? Those possibilities. So one, then we simply have realized that they'd bitten off more than they could chew. This was a lot more arduous a hike than they expected. Uh, they'd somehow wandered off the, the, the trail. They were lost and they were starting to panic and they realized from their phones, geez, you know, it's it's getting quite late in the day. We, we've been going since, you know, 10, 11 o'clock. Uh, we're on this trail and it's it's going to be soon 5 p.m. and we we don't know how to get back what are we going to do and they simply panicked and they started to phone the emergency services now we'll get into what happened there so either that's happened and they're lost and are starting to panic or one of them or both of them possibly but more likely one of them has experienced some sort of fall or accident they, they've injured themselves and they need help they're not one, one of them isn't mobile and the other isn't going to leave them what struck me in that scenario is if they were on the trail there should have been people behind them on the trail who came upon them and we we don't seem to have witnesses who experienced that which is why more and more I'm, I think it reasonable to be of the belief that they somehow have wandered off the main trail, which is why other people don't recall them further into the trail. There are eyewitnesses who believe they remember them at the start of the trail, but nobody seems to have come upon them deeper hours into the actual hike. The third <coughs> possibility is there's some sort of nefarious third party involvement here and that the girls became aware of that perceived it as a threat from somebody else and hence also panicked and found the emergency services now my thoughts on this situation so let's summarize again it's late in the day you have to ask yourself how many fellow hikers are going to be embarking on this trek behind them on the trail at the time okay i know there are some official tours that go to do the you know the sunset and the sunrise but in general on this trail probably at that time 5 p.m in the evening you're probably not going to get too many people certainly casual hikers and walkers uh, embarking on the trail at that state that late stage in the day um the temperature starts to significantly drop remember this isn't a floodlit place. There isn't like street lamps everywhere. You know, when the light starts to go, by God, it starts to go. You are in pitch black. You're in the middle of nowhere. And the terrain is not good when you're in the middle of nowhere, in the darkness. That's your biggest fear. If you get lost in a forest or in the mountains, light and the weather are your two biggest threats. If they can't get help on the phone, assistance is more likely ahead on the trail in other words if you're in trouble is there any possibility maybe somebody passed you out on the trail can you catch up with them get their attention to come back and help you that you're or you are 
both of you are in distress or need help or one of you is injured the other one runs on ahead to try and oh the peop, people passed us earlier you know let's catch up with them let's shout out for them you know that's the scenario you're in so i only asked the question is it possible that one of both of them if they were being pursued by somebody then instead of turning back because they couldn't get a phone signal to contact the emergency services the logical thing to do panicking and being anxious was to really start pushing forward let's let's get out of here let's 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 get this hike finished as quickly as possible let's push on forward let's try and maybe catch up with people who are further ahead on the trail worse i suppose not thinking straight in that situation you desperately think that maybe there's a shortcut maybe if we head off to the right or to the left we can get off the trail and get to a road or a busy area a, a local village or whatever or life other people quickly and if they did that you know that that really that could be dangerous getting off these trails the trails are safe enough if you stick to the trails and follow the signage but you're getting into a difficult area if you if you leave those trails uh, because there would be other trails but those other trails are not tourist trails they're trails that are unmarked and they're not meant for tourists they're instead they're used by the indigenous people um living in the jungles living in outposts um deep in those forests of the talamanca region now like i said we'll get back to the the, the phone logs uh, shortly but we're going to move now okay so the the girls have gone missing on the tuesday so we're going to move now to wednesday nobody no the girls haven't come back nobody knows where they are so we're on to wednesday so on the wednesday the women missed an appointment with their local guide called feliciano now ironically um feliciano had actually talked to the girls on the monday and supposedly they had actually agreed to do this particular hike with him but on the wednesday but instead the girls went off earlier on the tuesday to do this hike so again that seems odd it was like you know was it to do with money they didn't want to pay the extra expense of having a, a rented tour guide with them i don't know um but it does seem very curious so the women missed this appointment uh feliciano the tour guide was meant to meet them at a, a point i believe in boquette uh village um they don't turn up he's wondering where they are uh, to take them on this hike um he makes contract with miriam the hostel owner and he actually goes to the hostel thinking maybe the girls are running late i'll pick them up there with the assistance of another staff member um they enter chris and lisanne's dwelling their compound living area and feliciano and the staff member are there for up to 30 minutes i don't know what they're thinking there are they thinking have the girls gone off to get breakfast maybe the intent coming back we'll wait here for them to come back uh more questions are asked the staff say they they didn't come back yesterday evening they don't, they don't appear of course they had their own key so maybe 
nobody would have noticed whether they you know they didn't come back and they were only realising the girls clearly hadn't come back uh, the previous day now Feliciano had also reported to police that when the girls talked about the, this hiking trip and that, that he would be happy to be their guide and take them uh, you know he was concerned when he learned that the girls had actually went on this hike on their own the previous day um, you know again very odd it wouldn't be until 5pm that Wednesday afternoon that police were formally notified and a formal search uh, commenced again I can't explain why this happened I find this so common in so many cases where somebody disappears we seem to constantly ask why did it take that long why did the people who were supposedly concerned about someone going missing disappearing wait so long to raise the alarm and an awful lot of it is because they're not in the know they think maybe the girls have gone into the village um, or some restaurant have gone on some other uh, trip and eventually they'll come back and of course the day stretches on they don't come back hang on more and more people are saying they never returned uh, yesterday they're still not about eventually the alarm is raised so on Thursday April the 3rd so remember now we're already two days in searches have already commenced what you're seeing here is these are the extracted call logs from the phone devices themselves which will be subsequently found later in June in a backpack uh, these are where a phone attempts to log into a, a network what we refer to ping a tower either to a local tower and then onto a satellite to another tower and so forth what you have on the left okay so that's this side up here here on the left this is Chris's iPhone on the right over here this is the log for Lizanne's phone okay she's got a I think a Samsung Galaxy phone so the iPhone and the Samsung Galaxy phone Chris's phone and Lizanne's phone Chris's phone on Thursday April the 3rd 9.32 that's in the morning there's a third call attempt this time it's a 911 so it seems the girls had been um, attempting 911 I think the other code is 112 again this is I think in the Netherlands in certain countries in Europe it's 112 um, uh, in I think in Ireland and the UK uh, th there's different numbers 911 uh, 999 but instinctively and you often uh, know that even when a cell phone doesn't have an official registered network you'll often see that little message um, that you might get um, if you don't have a network provider where it'll say emergency calls only because most phones will allow a, a data or a voice connection to an emergency number regardless of whether it's an official network that you are registered and paying for so at 932 uh, a call attempt is made to an emergency number it doesn't get through again the, the, tragically in this area there really is appalling 
connection you know you're you're in valleys you're surrounded by mountains there is you don't get connections in this area easily same day at 11:47 there's a check for signal by the phone so this is where the phone you know the little dial is is the little uh, the sandbar is spinning around and it's looking and searching for a network connection and can't find it it's checking for the signal and the same thing happens again at 1559 uh, it checks again for a signal can't find a network signal um we do know that on that same day on that morning at 736 uh, a.m um Lizanne's samson galaxy phone is turned off so in other words it's powered down whether it runs out of battery or whether it's switched off we don't know but it's it's it, it stops it stops being powered friday april the 4th Lizanne's phone battery the samsung galaxy uh, s3 uh, became exhausted after 5 a.m and the phone was never used again kramer's iphone 4 would not make any more calls either but was intermittently turned on in the following days to search for reception and these are the search for reception or search for um, network uh, connection so this is now 4th of April so you can see again repeatedly 1016 check for a network signal nope 1342 check for a network signal nope um, again there's another check for a signal at uh, 4.50 hours on Lizanne's phone 5 o'clock this time though at 5 o'clock uh, the battery uh, simply goes empty now and th this is the last point on April the 4th there's no further activity on Lizanne's phone that's it all data uh, stops from that phone <coughs> uh, I, uh, by the way I do have the full log and I'll show you the full logs uh, that we can have a quick look through uh, I'll show you that very shortly Saturday April the 5th uh, to Friday April the 11th so between the 5th and the 11th Chris's iPhone was turned on multiple times but without ever recording the entry of the correct pin code again so either there's no pin code or the wrong pin code is being entered we don't know which on the 11th of April the phone was turned on at 10.51 a.m. and was turned off for the last time at 11.56 a.m. just before noon and that's confirmation of that data there so quickly going back to April the 6th that's Sunday April the 6th so the girls have disappeared on the Tuesday by Sunday their parents arrived in Panama along with the uh, police Dutch police have now uh, come over and got involved there's dog units involved and there previously had been other search parties out uh, detectives from the Netherlands uh, to uh, conduct their own independent full sale full-scale uh, search of the forests and this all happens across 10 days there's also an offer of uh, 30,000 US dollars uh, reward for any information leading to the whereabouts of Chris and Lizanne um, and that that's also announced then uh, the 6th of April you know more um, checking for signal no signal no pin no signal no pin um, just before the the only other thing I just want to qualify there is and it's my thoughts around this 
I suppose everybody's trying to figure out what's going on with the phones. Okay, they're in an area where they can't get a phone connection. They're trying to make emergency phone calls. Those emergency phone calls don't don't connect. They don't go through. It, it doesn't work. There, there's no signal. But it's the repeated no pin entry. Now, that could be because the phones had been powered down, powered back up. And when you power a phone back up, <coughs> it naturally requires your security pin to be entered. Why would there be failed pin entries on the phone? That That's the odd thing. Um, one can say the girls were in distress. Um, we know the battery power on the phones was continuing uh, for a number of days. So, you know, you have to put yourself in that position. Did the girls forget their PIN numbers? Is it possible they were in such duress and stress that for having powered down their phones, maybe to conserve battery power, power them back up in the hope that they would be able to pick up a signal? Um, I, I don't know, but what puzzles me here is if the phones are powered down and powered back on, wouldn't you have your PIN number, the correct PIN number, it shouldn't register a, a failed PIN, uh, PIN um, attempt. Whereas these phones were experiencing that. Were they in the hands of somebody that did not own these phones and didn't know them? One thing I've considered is, <coughs> is it possible that both girls were disorientated, tired, exhausted after two, three, four days and what was happening was one was using the other's phone and realising they didn't know what the pin number was after it was powered down and were attempting to guess what the number was and this might explain why there were so many repeated you know, power up pin number in, incorrect pin uh not established is is that a possibility it's it's one i've considered that in a sense that there, there wasn't so much anything nefarious it's just that both girls were using each other's phones is that because they were no longer together um it appears that this Anne was the one with the backpack with their belongings in it and they naturally particularly at night would want to have kept them safe in one place um, I think that's one possibility. Of course, the other nefarious possibility is someone who did not own those phones, a third party, got hold of them. But what doesn't add up for me in that scenario is why on earth would somebody with nefarious intentions be attempting to make calls to the emergency services? That makes no sense to me. That doesn't add up in that scenario so I'm more and more of the thought that it's both girls are using each other's phone and suddenly realising they don't actually have access to the phones because they don't have they don't know each other's pin numbers it's just a thought let's move on to another important piece of electronics in this search and that's the camera the Canon camera and this is 
Lazan's um, Canon camera. Let's look at Tuesday, the 8th of April. Now, we're a full week into this search. The girls have been missing for a week. And on the 8th of April, no less than 90 flash photographs flash flash uh, using the the flash um, facility on the the camera flash photographs are taken on this day between 1 a.m in the morning and 4 a.m apparently deep in the jungle and in near complete darkness a few photos show that they were possibly near a river or ravine some show a twig with plastic bags on top of a rock another shows what looks like a backpack strap and a mirror on another rock and another shows the back of uh, Chris Kramer's head but remember um, Kramer's iPhone is now the only one operating and being accessed at this point Lizanne's phone is already gone battery it's been powered off and it's not being used again so who who's taken this photo of the back of Chris Kramer's head it, it, it this is very very odd friday the april 11th the last ever phone activity on chris Kramer's iphone is between the 7th and the 10th of april there were 77 emergency call attempts with Kramer's iphone this simply doesn't support the idea of a kidnapper or an abduction theory it's not the trail of evidence a kidnapper or abductor is going to leave behind let alone risking calls to emergency service numbers that might just suddenly for a brief few seconds be connected and then potentially traceable uh, even if that's purely about planting evidence or to distract the idea that the girls were really you know they were abducted but uh, will use their phones to make it look like they're lost um, you know they were trying to get the, sorry it that it simply does not add up. That is not what an abductor or kidnapper is going to do. So April 11th, you see the log there, 10.51. Again, we're checking signal, no pin entered. 11.56, phone is switched off at 105 hours, no further activity. 22% of battery left, and that's on April the 11th. Now, you know just for you can pause this if you want and look over it later i'm not going to go through this in in major detail i've, I've picked out most of the detail but you can see here <coughs> this is the full detail april the first april the second third fourth fifth so there's activity on um chris's phone on april the first second third fourth fifth sixth and then there's a gap till april the 11th when it's last uh, there's activity used on it or at least a switching attempt to get a network uh, and you can see on the samsung galaxy owned by um lizanne um that only operates from april the 1st to april the 4th and at that point it's known that the battery is empty and there's no further activity after that so from the april the 5th to the 11th the only active phone with battery power that is still checking for signal on a network and repeatedly a pin um, number attempts or no pin registered into it uh, that's that's in those days those final six days may the 16th uh, 2014 
These are the first grim reports of that skeletal remains have been found. Now, there was kind of a, a blanket quietness about details on this, and it would take some time before we knew full details about what was going on. But there were initial reports in May that skeletal remains had been found, but there was nothing official because, of course, there was no ID done on them. Um, many weeks later, tour guide uh, Feliciano discovers the first human remains, uh, having spent weeks continuing to search. And he actually searched for many, many weeks uh, afterwards. June the 14th. Um, this was probably the biggest, I suppose, breakthrough, if you want to call it a breakthrough in the in the search. And it was the backpack. And the reason why is because what was in the backpack and not just the, the backpack being found. So it's 10 weeks later, on the 14th of June, a local woman turned in uh, Lizanne Franz's blue backpack, which she reported finding by a riverbank near her village at Alto Romero. I think that's much further up uh, north uh, in the Bocas del Toro province. The backpack contained two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, uh, Franz passport, a water bottle, um, Franz Canon camera, two bras which were all neatly folded, both women's phones, the iPhone and the Samsung phone, hence why we've been able to get this data, uh, batteries exhausted but undamaged. And also, and this is one thing that w I didn't see reported, but I know from the police reports, um, but a lot of media didn't touch on this, and I think it's significant. They had got in that backpack a medical insurance card. Um, the woman who found this backpack stated she was sure the backpack was not there the previous day. She frequents this area and walks this area and was sure that the backpack wasn't there. How did the backpack get there? Was it washed ashore from a, a river? Um, again, this seems very odd. Did somebody just pick it up, discard it? They did. Why wouldn't they open it and look in it? If it was somebody just... Oh, Grant, thanks very much. Two phones, a camera. Good luck. But all the items were intact, so that doesn't make sense as a random find. Why were expensive items cash still there and how did the backpack get that far away it, it it doesn't make any sense you know it sounds more like the backpack was picked up and dropped there dumped there but yet items weren't taken out of it that might have you might have considered a value to somebody the women's phones showed that around six hours after the beginning of their hike Someone dialed 111, that's the international emergency number uh, used in the Netherlands, and 911, the emergency number in Panama. The first distress call attempt was made by um, Kramer's iPhone 4 at 6.39. We, I think we went through this, we know this anyway, we went through the, the logs on this. But none of the calls got through due to lack of reception in the area. None of the subsequent calls attempts ever managed to go through either. Now... <clears throat> Around the June August 2014. So we've gone from the find of the backpack, we're now on to the find of the human remains, which initially I think May into 
June, there started to be reports that human remains had been found, but nothing had been officially ID'd and linked to this case, but formally by... So the discovery of the backpack led to new searches along the Calubra uh, River. Uh, Kramer's denim shorts were found. Now, this is atop a rock on the opposite bank of the tributary, a few kilometres away from where um, Froen's um, backpack had been discovered. Again, there's an awful lot of discrepancy on this. Uh, some reports say the denim shorts were found actually floating in uh, a shallow Others say that uh, they were found um, atop this rock. I'm inclined more to believe that they were, they were found in a river. That makes more sense to me than found. Who Who is going to remove their shorts and place them neatly on a rock? Again, there, there's too much uh, trophyism, I think, in, in this case, and too much involvement of eyewitnesses who seem to be embellishing an awful lot of details we go back to blue the dog the you know the restaurant dog apparently jumped in a taxi with these two girls and headed off on a hitchhike because you know that's what a dog does with someone they've only met two days before you know it again there's an awful lot of things in this case where um, it's a lot of it is village talk and rumours and embellishment um, again the rumour being that they, the shorts were found the denim shorts were found zipped and neatly folded um, but ultimately uh, forensic photographs of the shorts that were published from police files in 2021 completely disproved this information and again that's something I come across an awful lot you know that often blows completely open um, so-called eyewitness reports or reports in tabloid media. Two months later, close to where the backpack was discovered, a pelvis and a boot with a foot inside were found. Grim, I'm afraid. Soon, at least 33 widely scattered bones were discovered along the same riverbank. DNA testing confirmed they belonged to Kramers and Frun. Frun's bones Still had some skin attached to them, but uh, Kramer's bones appeared to have been bleached. A Panamanian forensic anthropologist later claimed that under magnification, there are no discernible scratches of any kind on the bones, neither of natural nor cultural origin. There are no marks on the bones at all. Had natural decomposition of the body near a river caused the bones, which are heavier than water, to sink to the bottom of the river, Markings on the bone should have been visible from friction with the riverbed. The point the forensic doctor is saying is that this doesn't make any sense. That the bones should have shown signs of scratching and wearing where, you know, a body goes uh, into a, a river, goes to extremes of weather, of um, heat, cold, humid conditions, cold conditions. Uh, the body breaks up, parts come off, uh, the body, parts of the body get beaten on rocks eventually down to the bone, it gets scratched, uh, it gets stained, bones that get pushed up onto an embankment, they're exposed to the sunlight, glaring sunlight, they get bleached, um, bones and body parts uh, in the water take on the staining of the, the water and their environment and 
the argument was that a lot of the human rounds don't appear to show what they naturally should show of the cultural environment around them. In late August 2014, a fragment of skin was found on the banks of the Rio Calubra River that could be attributed to Lisanne Frunz after forensic analysis. This was in the, an early state of decomposition, unlike the physical remains found of Chris Kramer's. In conclusion, several indications from third-party investigations point to criminal human activity. Now, the Canon camera that was also found along with the phones and other items, these are just some of its sort of collage of some of the photographs that were taken. They're completely random. Just completely random photographs of the sky, vegetation, the ground, the river. Um, and it's hard to discern what purpose uh, these photographs, and so many, 90, um, had. The 90 flash photographs taken during the early hours of the morning of the 8th of April, so in a very short period of time, remain the most curious evidence in the case. What purpose did they serve and who took them? The best scenario is that at least one of the girls was still alive and they were either intended as a journal log of locations or more likely the camera was being used for its flash facility to move in darkness and the remaining power in uh, Chris's iPhone was being conserved from April the 8th until its last use on the 11th. But even this doesn't make sense. Why not log the locations in broad daylight to conserve more power rather than trying to use the flash at night? And yet the images, multiple of them, seem completely random and serve little purpose. Could someone not familiar with the device be using it? That's one possibility. <coughs> 2014 to date. Ultimately concluded that it was more likely Chris and Lazanne experienced an accident, a fall of some kind, after being exhausted and disorientated for days and ended up in the river. However, too many forensic details revealed in the following years don't make this supposition sit easily with what is known, and hence about the body parts, the only partial bleaching of some of the bones, um, skin parts that seem to remain that should have been well decomposed other parts of the body it, it just no, none of none of it made consistent sense in a sense that these girls should have disappeared at the same time same area and yet there was a conflict in what we were seeing with their both both girls body parts and that didn't chime in with the surroundings into some deeper deeper analysis here and and let's see if we can conclude and figure out what's going on here and what is more likely so some pointers here um the spread of human remains of both girls does not easily fit with a scenario of a simple accident whether both girls are just one of the girls well some remains were found in or near the river creek the girls passed through or the bones and flesh were found some two kilometers away all of the items in the backpack found in June were intact and included two phones and a camera as well as cash. Devices powered and active in varying ways from April the 1st 
until April the 11th. No camera or phone image depicts the two girls together since mid-afternoon on April the 1st. In fact, Lizanne is never even seen in any image after this. If the two girls remained on the main trail on the Wednesday and Thursday, why did no one come upon them, including the official searchers? Both girls were very competent diarists and avid social media users. And yet what I find extraordinary is, beyond these emergency calls, 77 in total, the phones and the camera were never used to make some form of diary record of the circumstances they were in, if they were in distress or trouble. What I mean is by their own means or actions. No text messages were ever attempted. This seems quite extraordinary. If anything, there seems to be a deliberate attempt to conserve device power from the late afternoon of April 1st. Independent Dutch forensic experts who examined the human remains, the bones particularly, found no evidence of animal predators. Many of the bones also did not display the common signs of lengthy exposure to sunlight, what we call bleaching, nor the adaptive, I, I talked about this, the adaptive staining to the wet and humid surroundings. Yes, the weather in April was changeable, warm to humid, you know, cold nights, unfamiliar terrain. Even the search could not fully function due to weather conditions uh, and some of the days and hours in the first week. Therefore, I find it hard to believe that one, never mind both girls, after an accident could survive in the jungle trails for as long as their devices were still being accessed up to April the 11th. So something significant happened around April the 4th, the 5th. The two girls' phones tell us that. And these are the logs from the 4th and 5th of April. And I think this is significant that it's Lizanne's phone that completely stops. The battery is emptied out completely. But yet it's Chris's phone that seems to show more consistent activity on it throughout the full 11 days. Lizanne's phone is never used after April the 4th. Chris's phone records repeated their no pin access from April the 5th. This only happens when you either forget your pin access after multiple attempts, the phone will lock and require a user put code. Something even a user or owner is not likely to remember because it's one of those things that we, you know, we, we buy a new phone, get a new phone uh, off a network um, provider or a shop and you have your pin code which you resolve to memory. You also get a puck release code just in case you put in the wrong code multiple times and it locks the phone. You have your puck code and you keep them in your documents safely somewhere. It, but the puck code is not something you're really going to remember. Uh, or, or keep easily to hand and you're certainly not going to travel with it somewhere um, it's that or another user Lizanne using Chris's phone or a third party of course they can't unlock the phone with the correct pin or put code so I struggle to comprehend that Chris would forget her own pin code even at a time where you're disorientated you're exhausted after some degree of rest surely instinctively just by putting our fingers 
two numbers on a phone, it's going to immediately, automatically come back to you, even without thinking about it. And yet, that never appears to happen. It's entirely understandable to, to believe that either girl would not know their best friend's PIN code if required. And that's a point I made, and that's a suspicion that I have. That if the girls were injured, if they were in some form of distress, Lizanne had the backpack with the phones for safekeeping. Is it possible that the girls became, for some reason, separated? That one or the other was trying to access the other's phone and couldn't use it because they didn't have the PIN code? <coughs> well, let's remember, both phones were found safely in the backpack in June 2014. Uh, when it was found, the backpack was found two kilometres away from the original jungle trail. From studying images on late afternoon, April the 1st, I, I now believe it was Lizanne Frun who was carrying the shared backpack and she was the one operating the camera, her camera, which is why we never see her in the later day photographs. So in essence, she was the bad girl and Chris, being more the extrovert, was the subject of the late photographs. But some situation or incident occurred sometime around 4pm or not long after. And that sparked alarm and panic and the emergency phone calls by both girls. All one using both phones. If it was just one of the girls, <coughs> excuse me, I could understand maybe an accident. I wouldn't expect my injured friend to be the one phoning for an emergency. Chris is the first one to make an emergency call on her phone, and she is the one who persists with the attempts right into the following day, or at least her phone is the one that persists. If one of the girls had been injured in an accident, then for me, it has to be Lizanne. Chris is taking the lead as the extrovert. Lizanne's phone is also the one that stops being active first by April the 4th. I've always questioned if there was an accident, if the girls separated and one went for help. But I discount this because all their devices were found in the backpack together. I also don't believe either of the girls, with the bond that they had, would ever leave each other, whatever happened. They would stick together. Now in the summer of 2015, the original taxi driver who stated he took both girls to the hiking start point, he's found dead in a shallow river and his death is ruled accidental. Despite much online uh, newspaper speculation, I can find no evidence that the taxi driver nor the girls tour guide Feliciano were in any way involved in the disappearance and death of Chris and Lizanne. The taxi driver may be mistaken in his timing and the tour guide complacent in not reporting the disappearance sooner in the day. But they're not crimes. They're easy targets for suspicious fingers and speculation. But most of it is completely unfounded. Yes, Feliciano did find some of the girls' human remains. But you know what? I would expect that from a well-seasoned veteran guide of the area who spent many weeks looking for the girls long after the official act of search was suspended. If Chris Kramers and Lizanne Frun met a nefarious end by a third party, watching their movements since they arrived in Bouquet, then I think it more likely to have been opportunistic than necessarily pre-planned. Their disappearance and demise didn't happen over one day, rather more likely a result of one or both girls having an accident or misadventure, getting disorientated and lost, and some opportunist on that trail taking advantage of that vulnerability over many days, watching, following the case, 
and waiting to move in. Someone very familiar with the area and possibly even a local involved in the initial search. Why do I say this? In 2017, a female German tourist was traveling through a lesser known town of Panama's Verugas province called Santa Fe. Her disappearance story is eye-opening and should be a message and caution to travelers in this area. After she was found alive, she had a chilling story to tell. Her story was never told by the English-speaking news media. Her name not publicly disclosed due to the nature of the case. Four days after going missing, the German woman was found by members of Panama's Joint Task Force where she was wandering along the banks of the Maluba River. She was brought to the hospital and filed a police report. The story she told was devastating. Not only was she lost for three days, but when she was found by so-called searchers, she was taken hostage and sexually abused. Three men were later convicted of her abduction and assault. My final thoughts? The above, I believe, is far closer to the reality of what happened Chris Kramers and Lisanne Froon in Panama on April the 1st, 2014. With a closed investigation, we may ultimately never know what happened to these two Dutch girls on an adventure of a lifetime and never returned home.